Is it easier for you to give love or to receive love? Give love or receive love? I think oftentimes our quick response to that is it's hard to receive. We all struggle to receive many things. About a year ago, uh, my oldest daughter Darby for Christmas got us tickets to go to a concert of a group that she really liked. And uh, Darby is 23 and doesn't have a ton of funds to her availability. And so they were not the best seats. We'll just leave it at that. And so uh, the day came, we went to the concert, and we walked up the three flights of stairs to go to about as far away as you could sit to go watch this concert. And we got to the top of the Enterprise Center. We're walking down the hall, and this guy with a clipboard walks up to us. And he asks us two questions. He says, are you guys sitting up here, and would you like better seats? And what immediately goes into your brain at that moment? What do you want? What is the catch? You've got a clipboard. You obviously want me to sign up for something before you're going to do this. So after seven questions from me to him, he finally convinced me there was no catch. He just wanted Darby and I to have two much better seats. So we walked back down three flights of stairs and sat on the inner bowl at the most amazing seats to watch this concert and had a spectacular time. Receiving love, receiving gifts, receiving blessings. We struggle to believe there isn't a catch, don't we? Well, there wasn't one for me, but I still had to ask all those questions. So let me ask you again. Is it easier for you to give love or receive love? Can I ask you to reflect on something this week? Maybe to really ponder a statement that I'd like to make. We might answer that question, it's harder for us to receive love, but I would argue we cannot give love until we have received love. I'd love for you to think about this week. You might be giving something, but if you, if we, have not received love, then really we're just doing something for ourselves. And today, Jesus is inviting us to receive. We're in an important section in the Gospel of Mark. It's the last chapter before we go to Palm Sunday Chapter 11, we hit Palm Sunday, and we'll be there for some time. And Mark shows us or offers us three pericopes here of people that all have the same message about following Jesus. Basically, Mark is showing us our hard-heartedness and Jesus' plan to recreate new hearts in those who will follow him. Mark is inviting us to discover Jesus' cure for hard-heartedness. And last week, we talked about the Pharisees and their view of relationship and how hard their hearts were and Jesus inviting this idea of recreation in them. And today, we come to the hard-heartedness of the disciples, the problem. Their hard hearts about who can receive the kingdom. 
And next week, we'll talk about the hard heart of the rich young ruler. Well, what Jesus is inviting you and me into today and what we'll discover is that one of the cures for hard-heartedness is that we have to recognize we are childish and become childlike. Recognize we are childish and become childlike. First, let's address how our hard-heartedness is displayed or evidenced, the problem here in this passage. And then we'll talk about the cure. You see, like the disciples, our hard-heartedness is often displayed in how we hinder, our hindrance of others and our hindrance of ourselves. So we'll start there, our hindering issues. You heard Jesus say, let the children come to me in verse 14. Do not hinder them. Hindering is what you think it means. It means to create difficulties for someone or something resulting in a delay or obstruction. The disciples were hindering the little children and Jesus is indignant because of this. That word is exactly what you think it means. He couldn't believe what they were doing. He was so frustrated and upset about it. He actually rebukes them because the children are the exact representation of what he's looking for, the heart of the people that he's looking for. But again, before we dive into that, we have to address our own hindering issues. Are we guilty of being a hindrance to others, to ourselves? I think we are. First, being a hindrance to others. So, as loved as kids are in our culture... We still have moments with kids where we're like, yeah, I'd much rather be a grandparent than I would rather be a parent. And, and I mean, kids can be cute, but kids can be demanding and intense and very needy. So if you can take that into perspective, multiply that by a million in the first century. Kids were not valued in the time of Jesus. Boys, maybe a little, but even then it wasn't until they turned 13. And so the disciples are like, let's get these kids out of here. They don't belong here. They aren't worthy to be around Jesus. And so they were a hindrance to these children coming to Jesus. We can be a hindrance to others, can't we? We can be a hindrance to those outside the church. How? Well, a myriad of ways, but I would offer one this morning in the context of what Jesus is talking about, and it's this, that we don't operate as a family. It's in our mission to be a family of grace. But we struggle to be knit to together. We struggle to pursue unity with one another. Is there anyone in this room that you're pursuing because they think differently than you? Are we caring about each other in a way that's extravagant and loving and gracious? Are we making an effort to spend time with one another? And hear this, yes, some of us are actually, and not here to necessarily shame us into this, but I would like to push us deeper as a church on this. The world is longing to see a people who love each other. And it really is Christ who gives us the power to do that. 
the power to see our own struggles and insecurities and insufficiencies and in Christ, how that enables us then to care for those who are different than us. Jesus was very clear when he said, they will know you are my disciples by how you love one another. Maybe this week, consider reaching out to somebody within our church family to pursue loving somebody in a way that doesn't make sense. Let's break the walls of hindrance we've built for an outside world. We can also be a hindrance to others within our community. (laughs) Sometimes we like to create certain belief structures. You, You have to believe this or you have to believe that. Now, beliefs and truths are important. I'm not saying that, but... But we like to say that anybody can come. But then there are just a few things we like to add to that. We like to ask questions about where you are and why you do certain things. And we focus on what people believe, perhaps instead of focusing on their centering on Jesus. What does that look like? Let's get a little uncomfortable here if we can. Do you ever measure yourself against others? Do you ever go home from community group and talk about what people said and be like, oh, yeah, them? Don't laugh, Sue. That's a dangerous thing to do in this moment. We laugh, but isn't it true about how quick we are to measure ourselves against others? Create a community where in order for ourselves to feel some kind of significance and value, we like to compare ourselves to others. So we create barriers and roadblocks. We can be a hindrance to those within our community and outside of our community when we don't live out what the Bible says. We compromise. We don't uphold the biblical ethic of how to treat one another. Jesus was explicit. Apologize to one another. Confess your sins to one another. I mean, this is an easy one to evaluate. When is the last time you did that? When is the last time you said to your spouse, to your kid, to someone within our church family, I messed up? I was listening last week, a couple weeks ago actually, to one album that I really love. I'm going to date myself here. Here, There was a DC Talk album called uh, Jesus Freak. It's one of the best albums ever. It's really good. I would recommend it to anybody. And there's a song on there that opens with a quote from Brennan Manning and says this, The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. We can be a hindrance to the community outside. We can be a hindrance to the community inside. We can just be a hindrance to either by not stepping into and leading into what these words promise to be life. The second thing we see in this passage is not only are we a hindrance to others, but we're a hindrance to ourselves. 
we put up our own obstructions. First, we hinder others by hiding. How long does it take you after you've sinned to ask God to forgive you? Not how long does it take for us to go to God and say, God, I'm sorry. I I think in some ways we're good at that. When we know we've messed up, when we know we've fallen, when we know we're in that place of sin, it can be a quick response to say, God, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry, I'm sorry I did that, I can't believe I messed up like that. But I'm asking how long does it take us for us to really step into God's presence and ask, will you forgive me? anticipating his immediate response, I've forgiven you. I personally, I like to beat myself up for a little while. I like to feel the pain of what I've done. I want to make sure that as I've stepped into this, that my repentance, my feeling sorry for what I've done is deep enough and hard enough and long enough for me to have earned God's forgiveness. How am I a hindrance to myself? I'm a hindrance because I trust in my own effort to repent deep enough and hard enough, long enough. Friends, we need to repent of our own strength. Turn to the one who quickly offers us forgiveness based on the strength of Jesus. We hinder ourselves by avoiding. Some of us just avoid our sins and struggles altogether. We, we know we have some things in our lives that God might want to transform, but we're afraid of what God might ask of us, that I might need to apologize, that I might need to give something up for a season or longer, that God might ask me to suffer, that God might ask me to be more generous. We have such a deep problem with our egos. We live selfishly. We can't take criticism. We're over-dependent on our children. We worry about how we look. We hold so tightly to our money. The third way we can be a hindrance to ourselves is by avoiding our stories. Some of us have really never looked at or dealt with how we grew to experience and understand love. It's actually a really important part of what Jesus is inviting us to. It's quite brilliant, actually. Some of us early in our journeys were taught that our performance mattered above and beyond all things. And the lack of that blessing, of that gift, of that love when we were young has shaped and defined so much of how we act and behave and live today. And so we get stuck in this pattern of trying to earn the love of others. And we get in this habit of we think, well, we're better at giving love than receiving love. But really what we're doing is just giving love so that we might receive love. Some of us long so deeply to be blessed, to be called worthy. And we're a hindrance to ourselves 
in not stepping into that struggle and where those pains and those heartaches come from. Are you a hindrance? Well, Jesus offers a remedy today, a cure for all of our hindering issues. And what he does is he calls us to acknowledge, to accept our childishness and to become childlike. Accepting our childishness, that we're childish. Mark 10, chapter 14 Jesus said, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for such belongs the kingdom of God. It's interesting, I reflected on this quite a bit the last few weeks. I'd heard when you read a lot and listen to sermons on this passage, you you start to hear similar things. Pastors and commentators often say very similar things, and I kept hearing this thing over and over that, that people were saying, Jesus isn't... He's calling us to be childish. He's calling us to be childlike. And I think there's an aspect of that that's true. But then what was happening is they would kind of explain away the shallowness and inadequacies and neediness of children. They'd be like, yeah, we're not supposed to be childish. We're supposed to be childlike, humble, and, and receptive. And what I see in this passage is Jesus is actually saying, whoa, 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 whoa. The exact way that you view kids in our culture, this, that they're not worth something, that they don't have value, that, that they should be put outside. He's like, I, I want those kinds of people to come to me. I want the childish to come to me. I, I want those who don't have value and need. and are, I want those who are downtrodden and hurting and broken. I want those to be the ones that come to me. People who are deeply dependent who have to completely rely on somebody else, people who are needy. Children are the epitome of neediness. That's what he's saying. (laughs) I got my hair cut this week, maybe you can tell. And you guys may have had this experience. I was in the Great Clips, and there was this kid, he had to be about two or three, and he was losing it. I mean, flat out screaming at the top of his lungs. Like, that. this lady who was cutting his hair was, I mean, it was uh, chills. You know, to hear, you know, you hear those blood-crunching screams because she's getting his hair cut. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, if I were that kid's parent, oh my goodness. I mean, and there was, brewing up in me was all this judgment and craziness, and then it hit me. I was like, this always happens when you preach sermons on stuff like this. It always happens. <laughs> yep, you're just like that kid, Brian. You're just like him. You scream and you buck and you fight and you argue and you're just getting your hair trimmed. And that's who Jesus says, come on, you're welcome here. Beyond that, I want you here. Our problem is we don't like to admit we're childish. That we're just like that kid. See, we just hide and rationalize our behaviors I remember reading a book in high school, you may have heard of it, called The Lord of the Flies. 
And I always think about the ending. It struck me so deeply when I read it. How many people have read The Lord of the Flies? I'm just, okay, there we go, awesome. So what it is, just to give you the quick for everyone else who hasn't read it, it's a group of young teenage boys who get stranded on an island and they become savages, basically. It becomes anarchy. It's crazy. One of the boys dies and it's incredibly sad how they end up treating one another. And you're like, sounds like a great book, Brian. It is, it is. So spoiler alert, I'm going to give you the end of the book. At the end of the book, they're found by an officer. He comes on a ship to the island. It's a man who has it all together, a man who represents the wisdom of the world and maturity. And then he says this quote. It's the quote at the end of the book. He says, I should have thought that a pack of British boys, you're all British, aren't you, would have been able to put up a better show than that. And you're like, yeah. And the irony of why he said, how he says that is this. The twist of the whole book is that this man, this officer, the reason why he was on his boat and happened to pass by this island that these boys were on is a battleship and that he's in the middle of a world war. And the quote alone is spoken and should be felt of himself. I should have thought that a pack of men would be able to put up a better show than that. That the beauty of this incredible twist is what the author is trying to help us see is this man who thought he was so much better was losing sight of how childish he was himself. And friends, what Jesus is saying, our remedy this morning to our hard-heartedness is we have to come to grips with our childishness. We have to confess it. We have to own it. Because that's when we can truly receive and become childlike. The beauty of what this passage offers us is Jesus is saying, Oh, you hinderers. Come home and become childlike. There are so many studies out there. I found 10 that talk about how important love is for children. And and I'd like to make an observation. Children don't need to be taught how to receive love. They crave it. Children long to be loved. It's something so deeply in them that they demand to be loved. They will do anything to get love. And when it's given to them, they embrace it. They accept it. Mark 10, verse 15 Jesus says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Jesus is saying to all of us this morning, it's not achieving, it's receiving. You're not a benefactor, you're a beneficiary. Benefactors give benefits to others. Beneficiaries, they just receive them. The key to the gospel, the key to unlocking our hard hearts is that in our childishness, 
We get to receive. We are loved. We are blessed. Jesus is calling us to let our childish hearts be loved by him. No one wants to love a childish, screaming kid at Great Clips. But that's what Jesus does. At your worst, he blesses you. He loves you. He embraces you. And once that happens, once we receive like a child would receive that love, we're changed. Stories of love, they, they change us. There's a reason why, if I can, let me amplify this for us. I want to tell you stories of love, and I want you to experience how moving and powerful these stories are to us. Have you heard the name Maximilian Kolbe? During World War II, he was a Polish Catholic priest who demonstrated an unextraordinary act of love. There was a prisoner, a fellow friend of his, who had been captured. Francis Gajanwowski. He was condemned to die in a starvation cell at the Auschwitz concentration camp. And Colby, he says, I'll take his place. That for his friend, he went to the German officers and he said, no, no, no. Take me instead. And they did. And Colby spent two weeks starving to death in Auschwitz. He endured starvation and dehydration before finally succumbing to death while his friend went on to live for the rest of his life. His selfless act of sacrificing his love to save his life to save another prisoner is an example of sacrificial love. Have you heard of Rick and Dick Hoyt? The story of Rick and Dick Hoyt is somewhat famous. It's a testimony to a father's sacrificial love for his son. Rick Hoyt was born with cerebral palsy and unable to walk or communicate, but one day Rick was showed he showed his family, he expressed in some way how sad it was to him that he couldn't run. So his father, Dick, said, I can change that. So Dick trained for days and months and weeks and worked hard so that he could push his son in that chair to a, through a marathon. To this day, Dick has pushed Rick in a wheelchair in over 1,000 races, including marathons and Ironman triathlons, to give his son the experience of participating in athletic, athletic events and a sense of inclusion. Rick's love was displayed in running the race for his son. Have you heard of Arland Williams, Jr.? He was on Flight 90, January 13th, 1982. It was Air Florida 90. It crashed. You might not have heard of Air Florida 90 because it crashed. It crashed into the icy Potomac River shortly after it had taken off from Washington National Airport. 
Almost everyone on the plane died. There were seven people in the back of the plane that had survived the crash, and a helicopter was quickly summoned to come save those people. Arland was the first one out of the plane, and when they dropped the line down to the plane to save the people, they were surprised to find that it was a woman who was the first one up. So they sent down the line again and again and again and again and again and again, six times, and they never saw Arland. And when they sent it down the seventh time, no one came back up because Arland froze to death in the Potomac, allowing six other people to be saved. Arland repeatedly passed the rescue line to other survivors, ensuring their safety one by one. But Arland was never pulled up. He sacrificially loved through selflessness. Hmm. Why are these stories so powerful? Because substitutionary sacrifice moves us. And we connect to that because that's what we want. We want that for us. We want to be cared for like that. And what Jesus does is he's the one who rescues you and me when it seems impossible. He's the one who runs the race that we could never run and we receive the benefit. He's the one who sacrificially takes our place so we might live. My friends, do you see that? Do you feel that? Are you moved by that? To be childlike is to receive a way out. It's to receive his blessing. It's to receive his sacrifice. And my question to you and to me today is, can you? Can you? Can you today come like a child and just put your arms up and receive his love? Well, Jesus lets the childish come to him. And Mark chapter 10, verse 16 says this. And he took them in his arms and he blessed them. Do you need to be blessed today? We're all doing our best to show the world that we're worthy of something. And we so desperately want somebody to look at us and go, you're blessed. Maybe you've lived a life for years longing for your mother or your father to say, I bless you. I approve of you. I love you. Good job. Maybe you're just looking for your friends to say, I love you. I approve of you. I bless you. Good job. Maybe it's your coworkers. I love you. I approve of you. I bless you. Maybe you're longing for your kids to say to you, I love you. I approve of you. 
I bless you. Good job. My friends, hear the good news of hope today. Jesus is saying to you and to me, come with your mess and your failures and your mistakes and your troubles and your heartaches. Come like a child with your childness and receive like a child. You are blessed. You are loved. And I am proud of you. May we become childlike right now, in this moment. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning messed up, hindering people who've hindered the world, we've hindered others in this room, and we've hindered ourselves. And yet you look at us and you say, I love you doesn't make sense to us that a Savior would break into the world and say, come child-like, come with all your messiness and receive. But Father, we're asking that in some way, even right now in this moment, you would just help us, that you would give us the power, that you would open our eyes and our hearts that you would break through all of the barriers that we set in our lives to just receive like a child today. We thank you for a Savior whose love's like that. And it's in his name we pray.